And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Fancast to start this week, and in fact, Rancer, it is the start of a new month, and maybe that's the best news possible for the Vancouver Canucks. February can inflict no more damage on this hockey club that won just twice in 13 tries in the shortest month of the year. Well, could it have inflicted any more? Really? I mean, no. <laughs> it was a no. miserable month, right? And, and I mean, it started with the run of games against Montreal and Toronto where the Canucks couldn't prevent two goals a period, right? Like, every period, they were surrendering minimum two goals. Uh, it was quite embarrassing. And then their form stabilized, and they just had no... You know, the more I the more I look about it, look at it and think about it, if this team wasn't bad, right? Like, if this team hadn't shown us who they were for over two months and, and 25 games, I would look at their profile in February and say, hey, they're, they have more shot attempts than their opponents. They're about equal share of expected goals, and they have a 5% on-ice shooting and 88% goaltending at 5-on-5. Like, this team is going to win a lot more games over the balance. Um, It's just too short a season. There's not enough runway. They can't make up the ground they've lost. It's kind of done. But for, for all that the results made this look like and feel like, and in fact was, one of the worst months in the history of the franchise... This team, like, this team is not a peer for the Detroit Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators. And I'm not going to, like, stand for, for this disappointing group, uh, but they're not that team, right? Like, they are going to do better over the next month. And if they do actually want to get in on one of those great tank battles, if they want to curse cup this season, J-Pat, they actually have to do some work to, to make their team worse. <laughs> 
Two nine and two in the month of February, six of a possible twenty six points, and I'm with you. They played better in February than they did in January, and yet that's what the month yielded. They got outscored forty eight twenty eight in those thirteen games. <laughs> JPAT, they might have a- they might have played better in February. The second half, they might have played better in the second half of February than they did at any prolonged point of last season. Ah, uh, they had the fourteen and three run. They were they awful. Some- they were awful on that fourteen and three run. That was like when they were bad. They that, they were grinding out wins. We were laughing about it because we were like Louis Erickson with the empty netter. Like they grinded out, out another one goal. Like they weren't good yeah, in but, that run. But when Louis was doing his thing, they had a lead. They they they, they were weren't. They weren't even good protect- in the playoffs. <laughs> like they just this, this team just kept winning with a power play and magic voodoo in the net. Right. Yeah. And no, now the I mean, power play's gone cold. Their finishing's gone cold. Their goaltending's abandoned them. Structurally, like, in terms of their 5-on-5 five five game, I, I, it's crazy to say it, but, like, <laughs> the second half of February, actually probably the latter 20 days of February, they, they were probably better than they were for any 10-game stretch of the nineteen twenty dream season. Like, I, I actually think that. And that's what's so crazy about this team and where we're at is that they just weren't that good to begin with. They lost some key pieces. They actually structurally played some of their best hockey and the results completely fell out on them because that's what happens to bad hockey teams. Like, bad hockey teams can't survive when the hockey gods decide to take a piss. We haven't recorded since they lost 3 nothing to the Oilers. Uh, <laughs> seven straight goals. Seven straight goals, by the way, by Edmonton after the Canucks had that 3 nothing lead that they flushed uh, in the first of the two games. So I, I don't think there's much point in going back and looking at those games necessarily other than... Uh, and you mentioned the power play has gone cold. Special teams did the man in the second of those two games against yes. the Oilers. They had power play opportunities when the game was one nothing. They didn't score. The Oilers scored a couple of power play goals. And... You know, their power play now is in the bottom third of the NHL, which is just, again, foreign to where it was for so much of last season. And at this juncture, uh, at the 24-game mark last year, they had just passed that game in Nashville where they scored five power play goals. So that kind of skews the numbers a little bit. But last year's team, 24 games in, had scored twice as many power play goals as this group has. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you, t- you talk about their five-on-five five play, but the difference maker last year on so many nights was a power play that was lethal. And now it is, uh, it, it just, it, it's not capitalizing when they needed to. No. And that's another issue. Add it to a long list. Uh, also, uh, we're recording this on a game day, which there's no rules against that, but our guideline has always been to try to work away from Canuck game days so that we have more time to sort of get into the issues. Uh, but when the schedule gives you games on Monday and Tuesday in Winnipeg, like the Canucks have to start the month of March, uh, we had no choice because we didn't go over the weekend. We haven't gone since the middle of last week. So here we are, and I, I think we have to get into what was a pretty busy weekend, even though the Canucks didn't play. Uh, Jake Vertanen was traded to Anaheim at some point in the middle of the weekend. <laughs> but as I checked the Canuck roster, he's still uh, on it. So I guess he didn't actually get traded to Anaheim. And the other one, and you got to help me out here because I, I wasn't on the Zoom calls on Sunday. But are, honestly, are we living in a world where questions were asked to Brandon Sutter about re-signing with the Vancouver Canucks? Like, what's that? <laughs> a, that was a legitimate question that was put to Brandon Sutter? Yes. 
Yes, and and terrifyingly, he was like, I'll leave that with my agent and Jim Benning. As Canucks Nation howls, <laughs> no, no, with, no with an unlimited number of O's. <laughs> um, the, yeah, okay, so look, there's a lot to unpack here, but let's start with Vertanen to Anaheim. Um, regrettably, a, a trade that did not occur, because it would have been made for good copy. Um, Vertanen and Danton Heinen are both Valley kids, right? Valley boys, local yep. products. And like, this was such a weird one because Friedman first surfaces this on 650 on Wednesday or Tuesday. I think it's Wednesday. And immediately thereafter, like the rumors start and they're not coming to me from my usual industry sources. They're coming from me, coming to me from like people who are like, oh, my barber cuts one of Heinen's friends' hair and says, you know, or like my, like the the local rumor mill started churning in the funniest way possible. Um, and, and it really reached an overwhelming sort of peak on Saturday to the point where, like, I hadn't been really tracking this. You know, I, I'd thought, I'd heard that it was close late last week, like Thursday, I heard it was close, but I hadn't really, like, done my calls and and so on and so forth, just because I, I didn't have much. But on Saturday, all of a sudden, all these people are calling me. They're like, Dan Heinen's buddies are sure it's going to come. Uh, are, sure it's, are sure he's coming home. Um, you know, my barber told me this. My like, It's just like an overwhelming mess of, of weird rumors start populating my DMs and my cell phone. So I make a call, and it's like just as social media is getting kicked up into a frenzy about trades, 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 the most exciting midseason thing for hockey fans. Um all my sources around me are like, yeah, like kind of stalled on that. Like, I, I actually think that's not going to happen. Um, and, and so, you know, that's what I tweeted basically, uh, just sort of pouring cold water on the fact that momentum had slowed. And, um, you know, it's a really interesting thing here because the Canucks are motivated at this point to trade Jake for Tannen. They're, they're aggressively looking. Um, they liked the Heinen fit because Heinen's an expiring deal. And, because they actually have time for Heinen, right? Like Heinen's a guy who's playing 14 and a half minutes for the Ducks um, when he's been in the lineup. And he hasn't been in the lineup recently because Zegras has been called up, Trevor Zegras. And so, you know, but the Canucks have time for it. He's a 25-year-old forward. Um, he hasn't played great in Anaheim, but the Canucks see something there. there there's some things they like in the game. They, they certainly wanted to have a chance to evaluate him in the lineup. They thought he could have added some depth and given them some options. Um, in that top nine. And and I suspect, ideally, a guy who can push Hoaglander out of the top six, uh, just as he begins to kind of hit a wall and and maybe provide some better defensive results. Like, that's kind of what they're looking at, is like, maybe this guy can be a, a not a Tanner Pearson quality acquisition, but in that mold of like a larger winger who can be better for us than he was elsewhere. And, um, but the Ducks have sort of longer term interests here because Vertanen has an extra year in his contract. They don't want to commit to that. And on the Canucks end, while the cap hits are close, the salary is not. Heinen's due to make a million more than Vertanen, al although both those figures are prorated and subject to escrow. So, uh, you know, the, for the Canucks, the short term expense of taking on Heinen for Vertanen like wasn't worth the upgrade of Heinen to Vertanen. And for the Ducks, the long-term expense of having Vertanen's 2021-22 20, money on the books wasn't worth the expense of 
gaining Vertanen at the expense of Danton Heinen. And and that's just like, in a normal world, this is an easy one for one. In this economy, like the, the team's dueling budget priorities just couldn't get ironed out. Um, you know, there were chats about retention. There was chats about uh, the, the Ducks taking on another player. Ultimately, it didn't quite come to fruition. I think this one's dead unless one of the one one team or the other calls calls the other and it just sort of capitulates to their budget priorities, which I, I just don't see happening for a deal at the margins. But I do think the Canucks are going to continue to be aggressive for Vertanen. I do think that they believe that there's more demand in Vertanen than, um, you know, many in this market might expect, myself included. And they're, they're convinced that, you know, if it came down to just a salary dump type deal, that would be simple. They, they actually want to get, you know, a player back. They want to get someone they actually have some time for and, and think can help them uh, both this season and, and potentially long term. Um, in that swap. And this is a player that the Canucks have had an eye on going back to Boston. I think they kicked tires when he was a Boston Bruin. And and you look at, you know, his best season in the NHL was uh, 16 goals, 47 points with the Bruins. And then he followed it up with an 11 goal, 34 point season. So like we all talk about Jake and his 18 goals last year. Heinen had a 16 goal season and at least backed it up with double digits. Like this is Jake's backup season and he's sitting on the one goal uh, his only point, the one that pinballed around in Calgary and, and found its way in. And so, uh, you know, he's had a higher end than Jake Vertanen in the National Hockey League, but really both of them, you know, one good year and they really haven't been able to sort of find that form again. But there does seem to be some history with the Canucks and their interest level in this player. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see where it goes, I suppose. Um, you know, the other part to this, and I mentioned it earlier, was Sutter, because I see now that Craig Custance has his first trade board out yeah. posted this morning at The Athletic. We should talk about and, this. And Brandon Sutter's a top 10 guy on the list. He's eighth. Yeah. And Vertanen <laughs> and Tanner Pearson are in the top 20. So three Canucks. Do you have Do you have the article open? Can you read the quote from the yeah, Eastern Conference could, Scout? Or is it a Western Scout? Well, I was going to say, like, it's one thing to have the, the on the board. Like, okay, so people around the league recognize that, you know, there are tradable pieces here in Vancouver. But, man, when you look at the quotes that support, uh, it doesn't reflect well, right? Like, uh, Sutter, they say he's slowing down. And <laughs> he's speeding up. I swear well, he's speeding up. But <laughs> if you, in this market, Tom, in this market, like, again, we always talk on the podcast about where the bar is. Like, and, and I've said it repeatedly. Like, I, I like Brandon Sutter, the person I do, but this idea that he's been productive this year, he's got six <laughs> goals. Th- th- just hear me out for a second. He's got six goals. Three of them came a hat trick against Ottawa. It was a great night for him. His first NHL hat trick since then. In 15 games, he has two goals, two points, and one of them into an empty net. Like, how is that productive? How is that? Like, Brandon Sutter's out there. He's trying hard. He's giving you Brandon Sutter, and it's yielded two points in 15 games, and one of them is an empty net goal. And so this notion that this has been a renaissance season for Brandon Sutter, like, I can't. I won't. I cannot (laughs) I can't. <laughs> and that's without getting into his l- absolute loathing of apples, right? Like, this is a man who would buy an orchard just to torch it. That's how much he dislikes apples. Uh, th- th- this is a guy who um, is as likely to pass as a 70-year-old on the highway. Um, <laughs> just no assists, 24 games in, crazy, right? But 
But it should be said, Brandon Sutter has looked good. Like, his underlyings have been solid. He's looked good. He's performed effectively. Despite the fact that, yeah, the idea that he's, like, having this... The, the idea that we're enduring this Sutter renaissance... Oh, my goodness. The Sutter renaissance um, does not pass any muster. You are right to be outraged by that narrative. <laughs> anyway, he's getting traded to Edmonton for a fourth if you read The Province. Right. I read that. The, the deal is <laughs> all there and... No quarantine needed, so make it happen. Just get Jim and Ken to sign off on it, and away they go. The Oilers have like eighty-six million on the books. <laughs> like they're they have Cassian, Clefbaum, and someone else. I can't remember who else, but they have like three guys on LTI. Um, I don't think they can afford Brandon Sutter. Like I, I just don't see how they make that work. Um, but but Brandon Sutter for a fourth sign everyone in this market up, right? Like that would be brilliant. I don't think you can trade Brandon Sutter straight up. I actually don't know that for, that Brandon Sutter has value on a retained deal. Um, maybe if you take money back, but I think maybe you could get a return for him if you laundered him through somewhere else, right? Like if you could get Brandon Sutter at one million, then I think there's some teams that might you know consider that as like a fourth line center upgrade. It he's got penalty killing utility. Like he, he and Roussel have actually been a pretty good penalty killing duo. I think that's where his value is. Totally. Uh, no team is trading for him to come in and like you know, I want to I want to see a team in this market with a third line center that has 40 points in a you know, in an 82 game season. Like I don't want to be talking about a guy that has two goals in 15 and we're talking about this being a productive Brandon center and look Harm had the chart yesterday which you know, again, like we all know that the Canucks roster construct is flawed, but when Harm laid it out in the chart, you know, bottom six forwards, the Canucks are dead last in point production. And this is a team that has a quote unquote productive Brandon Sutter. And it had Tyler Maud who came firing out of the gates and had five goals. And I think he was tied for the team lead at one point in goal scoring. And there's just been nothing. And obviously if Mott was healthy, there'd probably be a few more points along the way. But uh, again, not enough to you know move them way up that list. Their bottom six is what their bottom six is. But I, look, we spend a lot of time talking about Brandon Sutter. I want to be fair to Brandon Sutter because to me, the issue goes deeper than this. And, and we've talked about February, forgettable February. I was looking at this over the weekend, Tom. You have to include Bo Horvat in this mix as well because the last 10 games... Bo Horvat, Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, centers two, three, and four on a National Hockey League team have one assist combined. There have been a few goals in there. Forget the goal scoring. This is talking about playmakers as centermen in the National Hockey League. Horvat, Sutter, Beagle have combined for one assist in the last 10 Canuck games, and it was Bo Horvat to Jordy Ben to open the scoring in Calgary the night that the Canucks won 5-1. to one. So take that goal out of the mix. Horvat, Sutter, Beagle have not set up a line mate, another forward in the last 10 games for a goal for the Vancouver Canucks. How is that possible? No, that's that's mind blowing. Mind blowing. Like genuinely mind blowing. And, you know, maybe add some context to the struggles that Vertanen and Godet and company, some totally. of the some of Vancouver's depth wingers are enduring, right? Um Yikes. I mean, yeah, yikes. There's nothing else to say, really. Uh, the Canucks aren't good enough, right? They, they're just not good enough. And it's very clear. And it's apparent even when they've played better or controlled play the way they have over the past 10 games, right? Like, even then, 
it's clear that the goaltending's not there. The power play's not clicking this year. A PP2, in particular, is like a hazardous waste zone. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's bad. It's bad, and it's going to require a lot of work. And then that brings us back to, naturally, to, to the deadline, right? To Pearson, to Sutter, to, is it, who's the other forward that appears on this list, J-Pat? Pearson, Sutter. And there's one Enver Tannen. Right. And the need, the absolute need to monetize these pieces, right? And and I think you can probably go a little bit deeper. Like, I don't know that the Canucks are there yet, but if you if you want real deadline returns, you know, I wonder about a Zach McEwen or a Tyler Mott. Like, I think Tyler Mott might be their best trade asset at the deadline. And I do think you kind of have to look at you know, this, this is probably a multi-year project to get this team to be a contender. Like Sutter's going to, or sorry, Mott's going to be a UFA. <laughs> Realistically, by the time you're ready to go, he's going to be a two and a half million dollar player. Like you can't have a two and a half million dollar player on your fourth line. Like you, you just can't. Um, So yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to consider that. Like you have to consider everything. And, and that's also why, you know, the toxicity of having you know uh, everyone in this market not be sure about the future of this regime this management group and yet they're aggressively shopping a, a player like Vertanen and not just for picks but for live bodies you know and and you don't know how how the organization's thoughts about x live body is going to change just six six eight months from now um that like it just doesn't make sense it feels like banging your head against the wall right so here are the quotes from Custance's trade board uh, piece that's up now at The Athletic. And this is Brandon Sutter, who's listed eighth. He's the highest Canuck on the board right now. Uh, he's a hardworking third-line guy. He's slowing down, said one Western Conference exec. Does he have value at the trade deadline? Sure, he's got value. He's got a big contract. You wouldn't want to take on much money to add him. <laughs> yeah, so you have to find a third team to launder him through. Like, you really do. You have to find a third team to launder him through. And then you're looking at a return where it's like a trade-up from the sixth to the third round or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, you spend a sixth to to give to a team that's laundering him, and you get a third back from the team that's getting him. Like, that's kind of, like, the ideal Brandon Sutter trade is you trade up three rounds, and you eat half his salary, and you find someone else to eat half his salary. Like, that's the deal you gotta look for. And... That's a deal. That's a deal of like, that's a level of complexity we've never seen the Canucks execute a deal ar- around over the last seven years, right? Like, is that fair to yeah. say? No, totally. Yeah, yeah, completely. So, so Sutter's listed at eighth on this trade deadline board. Uh, Jake Vertanen comes in at 17. I want to read the entire Vertanen uh, little blurb <laughs> here. This is Craig Custance. Vertanen was described as a not as good Sam Bennett, which isn't great. The extra year on his contract hurts the cause here, too. Quote, I wouldn't want to pay a whole lot for him, said a Western Conference exec. He's $3.4 million in actual salary. Who's going to want to pay that? Again, <laughs> if these are the trade brochures, uh, <laughs> this is not helping the Canucks cause, I don't think, you know to, what, though? to move these players. The $3.4 million thing is a little bit weird, right? Like, the Ducks... According to our colleague Eric Stevens, looked at that and thought, "Oh, that's a, you know, that's an awful lot." Like, oh man, but 
it's really not a $3.4 million liability. It's a $1.4 million liability, which is the cost of his buyout plus the cost of his 400k signing bonus for next season. Like, that's the liability because he's under 26 and he can be bought out for a one-thirds rate. So, right. like, the cap hit is completely manageable on a buyout. And and you have to price that in. You're not you shouldn't be pricing in the second year at 3.4. You should be pricing in the second year at 1.4 in the event that it doesn't work out. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's the that's the game. That's the liability you're taking on. And in Heinen's case, he's making, you know, 1.025 more than Vertan in this season. So the all overall liability is like less than 350k. <laughs> for the Ducks. Like, that's the overall additional liability. Like, that's a rounding error when we're talking about these player personnel budgets. Like, it's a, it's a rounding. We're talking about 70 to $80 million budgets, and, and 300K is sort of the decisive thing that's like, man, that's too much for us to take on. Like, man, what, what are we talking about? That's, it's, hockey is so weird right now. Everyone just pin, pinching pennies, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Vertanen's not going to have a ton of value. We, we all know that. And, um, a not as good Sam Bennett is wild, like really, really tremendous stuff. Um, I don't see that analogy at all. I see him as a, um, I see, I see him more as like, um, a more physical Andreas Athanasiu with less hockey sense. <laughs> that would be my comp. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> um, look, I said we didn't want to go back too far uh, those games against the Oilers. Actually, Jake took the two early penalties, which was ridiculous. But in the second period, like, he was all around the puck. He probably should have had a couple. I uh, got the one to the goal line that uh, that sort of summed up the month. There was that shot from the net cam where the puck was yep. half over the goal line and half not. Hilarious. Um, so, you know, there was a sign of life, and we'll see what role he gets in Winnipeg. I, I don't here. even they hold the penalties against him. I just want to note this. Like, the the puck over glass, really bad luck. The hook, yep. super soft. Like, you know, I, far be it from yeah, me to be charitable. He got the stick into the midsection. Where it was a soft you put it in call. The hands of the, you put it in the hands of the officials to sure. make a call, and they did. So sure, I, but it was a soft call. Like, it was not It was not a really dumb penalty. I didn't watch that and think, like, oh, this guy's unplayable. Um, you know, far be it from me to be charitable to Jake Vertanen, but those two penalties to me, um, you know, weren't. He wasn't full value for the four PIMs, in, in my view. Um, Fair enough. And, I mean, batting the puck out of the air. You're right. I mean, that's that's like it's good hand eye. It's unfortunate that it wound yeah. up in row eight or whatever. Totally. But again, it it happened. The, I just want to quickly touch on Pearson because Pearson gets the best write up of the three in terms of the quote that's in here. Uh, he'd have some value. He's a good solid winger, not flashy, but he can produce. He can play with good players, and obviously he's got the Stanley Cup pedigree from Los Angeles as well. Uh, we'll see. And and I think you and I have been consistent here for the last couple of pods, too, uh, that, you know, all I should be on moving these parts if they can. And that's why the idea of Sutter re-signing, like, I just, I, I just about fell off my chair when that came up yesterday because that can't, like, that, that just, it can't happen. That cannot be the no. conversation that the Vancouver Canucks are having right now is about trying to re-sign these guys that could have some market value because this group as a whole isn't good enough. We know that now. We've seen that for 24 games. It, you know, you've got it. We know that they haven't been able to get out from under onerous contracts. So if they have some deals that they can move, it is absolutely in the best interest of this hockey club to start trying to drum up business here. Uh, what are we now? 
five, six weeks away from that April 12th trade deadline. Yeah, someone brought up to me, they were like, would you re-sign Tanner Pearson? Like, thought exercise, would you re-sign Tanner Pearson? And, you know, my reservation is, is that I think you're going to be able to find Dominic Cahoon two weeks into free agency for less than a million, right? And and what's Dominic Cahoon versus Tanner Pearson, right? Like, 80%, 90%? Um you know, like you can find there's going to be another buyer's market and there's going to be opportunities to find affordable value. There's going to be weird players that shake loose because of buyouts. There's going to be all kinds of crazy stuff that we don't see in a normal offseason. Again, this offseason, I'm, I'm very confident about that. So, you know, Pearson, I really like like I really like Pearson as a guy. I really like his game. I, I actually think more highly of him than a lot in the industry. A lot of people see Pearson as a middle six forward. I think he's a genuine top six guy. I just think he's a low end top six guy, but I think he's a genuine top six guy. And I think he's got unique chemistry with Bo Horvat. And he's one of those guys you never worry about. You know what I mean? Like you can put him on the power play. You can put him on the PK. He's going to show up in shape at camp every season. Like he's, you just never have to think about him. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, he's going to play every game. He's going to work hard every game. He's going to try every shift. He can play everywhere. Like I don't even worry about him. You know, like there's real value to a hockey team and having a guy like that. So what are you talking about? Maybe you pay him a 500K premium for being that guy uh, per year. Uh, You still can't go more than two if you're the Canucks. And I don't think you can exceed like two and a half, maybe three on a deal. And even that, I'd be like, man, you can find better value in a month. Um, and, And meanwhile, if you presented two times two five to Tanner Pearson, he'd tell you to fuck off. So for me, it's right. a relatively straight line um, that sort of dictates where this has to go. Like, it, it's not about whether you like the player or not. It's just about where this team's at, where their opportunities for value are. And, you know, I don't think they're in re-signing Tanner Pearson to an extension right now. Um, you know, maybe you make him an offer, but you, you got to be clear to him. Like, hey, this is a low ball offer. We're sorry. This is how we view it. We love you. Um, you'll hear from us when the market opens, should we trade you. But if you don't accept this in a week, we, we gotta, we gotta get moving on that. Like that's, that's how you handle this. It shouldn't be, this isn't a complicated one, unfortunately. Um, and that's just reflective of where this team is. Yeah. I, I, you know, he played his hundredth game for the Canucks a couple of weeks ago. And I remember asking Travis Green that day, you know, just from a coaching perspective, you know, what's he liked about working with Tanner Pearson. And he said exactly what you said you know, just how low maintenance this guy is. Like, you know, Travis Green has other players that I'm sure he has to worry about. Tanner Pearson's not one of them. You know, would you like him to be a little more consistent? Sure. He goes these prolonged stretches where uh, the offense isn't there. And part of that, I go back to Horvat, who, you know, I don't think Bo has played. I didn't think Bo had a particularly good month of February. Uh, Hoaglander went the entire month without scoring. I mean, maybe they were a little unlucky, but if we're talking about being a little luckier and, you know, providing a couple of goals still there are issues that's a second line in the National Hockey League and all three of them a little too quiet and part of the reason the Canucks uh, won just two of 13 games but uh, Tanner Pearson about as low maintenance a pro as you can find I I know I said right off the top Tom that maybe the best thing uh, for the Canucks was that February is over looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Again, this is sort of a snack-sized pod because it's a game day. We want people to be able to digest it before the puck drops in Winnipeg late this afternoon. Uh, But let's finish up with this. What a start for Jack Rathbone down in Utica over the weekend. Yeah. The Canucks. Incredible. You know, they they brought him to camp. We liked what we saw at camp. Uh, There was a ton there to like. But again, a guy that hadn't played a hockey game anywhere since his college season was halted by COVID. And he was on the taxi squad for a while. That wasn't necessarily serving him well. He needed game action. So despite all of those odds against him, he goes down to Utica. I don't know. He got a practice or two in. And then three assists in his pro debut, and he follows it up with another helper. Four points in the first two games, and Trent Cole raved about him. Uh, Didn't watch the games, but certainly have seen enough of the highlights of Rathbone doing what Jack Rathbone does. And that is generate offense with his speed, with his skating, and obviously Harvard guy. He's a smart guy. He's got the hockey IQ to go along with it. Uh, That's just that's a really encouraging weekend for Jack Rathbone and the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. You know, and, and like you, you can assure our listeners that even more so than I've been in public, like I'm, I'm high on Jack Rathbone. Remember yes, at camp? I, I was like, yep. look at him skate. <laughs> look at him go. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm really high on this player. I think he, we saw him at the bean pot last year at this time. Totally. And he was, right? and he was, he was good that day. Excellent. Excellent. And, yeah. and, you know, the reports that I've got from, my college, my, like my Boston area contacts and my Boston area contacts are pretty good. Um, you know, just like this is a guy with the stomach for the fight and super dynamic. And he's, you know, maybe at risk a little bit of being one of those tweener types where maybe you don't run a power play and you're not a shutdown guy. But generally speaking, everyone thinks that this guy's going to be able to move the puck and put up offense and and be a really useful NHL player. So, um, you know, I, I went into camp really high on him. And I, I do want to note that like, he didn't look ready for that moment in camp, in my opinion. Um, I was looking for it. I was, I was ready to start banging the Jack Rathbone should play drum, in part because I've just never been that high on Ole Olevi uh, because of the skating. Um, I'm still not high on Ole Olevi, as our listeners will know. Um, Rathbone's the opposite, right? Rathbone's moves like liquid on an NHL surface. Like, he's a high-end skater right now in the NHL. Um, that to me just matters so much for a defenseman, especially a defenseman who's also like roughly NHL size and willing to throw the body and has a big slap shot. Like I want all of that stuff on the team that I cover. Cause it's fun. It's fun. Like it's just fun. And I think he's going to be effective. So good for him for going down. I think that's a really positive development, but I don't think it's fair to second guess and be like, well, they should have got him NHL games. Look at how badly the Canucks have played. Um, I don't think he was ready, and and I think it's good that he's gone down and made his pro debut at the AHL level where he can completely dictate and dominate games. I think that's good for him. I think that's a way better 
outcome than him getting thrown into the fire on an overmatched team a la Jalen Chatfield this season, right? Like, I think that's a way better outcome. And now it's what's going to be interesting is seeing whether the Canucks can get him back up, right? Like, that's going to be tough to do just in terms of the dynamics of federal quarantine protocols and league quarantine protocols. And, you know, they probably have to make some moves on the left side of their defense before they really consider it. But, you know, I do think if Jack Rathbone continues to play like this, they need to find a way to get him some NHL reps this year so that he can get some reps in lower stakes NHL games before, you know, making his debut next season when, like, he might be pretty important to, to, to this team's chances, <laughs> right? Like, you know, having having Jack Rathbone play might be key, especially, you know, in a world where Edler and Ben are expiring, right? Like, most of the left side of the Canucks defense as it currently stands, with the exception of Quinn Hughes, um, you know, is up in the air. Like, there is opportunity in Vancouver next year. I do think you got to find out what you have this season and even if that means pulling a guy who's crushing it out of the lineup for three weeks, I, I, I like I kind of think that juice is going to be worth the squeeze, especially if he crushes it for, you know, another month worth of AHL games. Like at that point, I do think you have to seriously figure out and game plan for how you get him in your lineup and get him some NHL reps this season. Um, you know, and, and I don't just say that as someone who like wants something exciting to write about that Canucks fans will care about in a world where the results kind of don't matter already. Well, 32 games to go. They're not even at the midway mark, so there is still time here, even though uh, it's getting late early for the Vancouver Canucks. They do have to play 32 games. They're going to have to have guys in their lineup for those 32 games. So uh, I would think that he'll get an opportunity, uh, but he has to wait. And, and like you said, just keep playing. Keep doing what you're doing down at the AHL level so that when you get that call... Uh, you know, your game's where you want it to be to make your NHL debut. But I, I would suspect that we see Rathbone at some point uh, before this season is through. Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, sirloin a lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink? Meatballs. Very good, sir. Uh, the Canucks didn't play over the weekend. The last time they played, they didn't score. This makes updating our stake bet really, really easy. Yes. Now, it doesn't make for a lot of fun checking the stake bet because they haven't scored uh, in forever. But uh, they get a chance to change that uh, in Winnipeg here. And then the Leafs come to town. So uh, busy week ahead that'll take them to the midway mark. But uh, we'll see what happens uh, again. You know, this week will give us a good chance. Because when they get to the, the midway mark of this season, when they get to the 28-game mark halfway through... You know, at that point, we'll be able to project out uh, a little bit better of, you know, where things stand, who's got the upper hand. Uh, I think it's you, but uh, who knows? Maybe this week will be a big week for well, uh, they have to one, score. One of my guys, they have to score. Like well, <laughs> the way that it's, the way that it's pacing, the way that it's pacing, J. Pat. I don't know. Like I think I'm better positioned through 24, but man, this team is not scoring at all, and I need their power play to get cooking if I'm going to win with Bo Horvat. Right? Like Bo Horvat's key to this bet. And with the power play banging their head against the wall, um, that's not good news for me. Now, one thing I just want to get into quickly is Pedersen and Besser are moved. They've flipped to their uh, downhill side, so they're on their strong sides. No one-timer options on the flanks for the Canucks right now. That means that Pedersen, when he's got the puck at that left circle, where Miller usually works, um, like that's... a you know, his prime one-timer option is going to be Bo Horvat. I'm really curious to see, like, if this works, 
things should begin to open up for Bo Horvat a little bit, uh, especially if Pedersen and Besser can be diligent about attacking and using their space off their downhills, like really rotating aggressively. You cannot be stationary in this setup and moving the puck quickly. That's one thing they both really struggled with when they've gone to the downhill sides in the past. This is like their third most common first unit look. And I, I think they just, they just wait too long. Like Pedersen likes to make that extra deke. Uh, it doesn't help things. And, and Besser can take just a little bit too long to get off his shot Really, this is about making really quick decisions. And if you want to see a team that does it really well, like does it perfectly, it's Marner and Matthews. The way they attack off their downhill sides, lethal. Um, the Canucks have the talent to mimic that. If not match it entirely, mimic that really closely. But it's going to require Pedersen and Besser to be really disciplined about how they move the puck. And if the Canucks first unit doesn't get going, then you know my, my declaration that the Canucks aren't a real peer for the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings, well, that might get challenged. All right. So like I'm all about the apples right now. We talked about Sutter. I talked about uh, the three centers. Try this one on for size. 24 games into the season, Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat, your one and two Cs, although they play on the same power play unit, they each have one power play assist. Yikes. In 24 games. Oh, yikes. That is, that's gross. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let's let's leave it right there. Yeah, that, um. <laughs> that's gross. Like that's gross. But you know, it it should be said too um, that Miller's the Miller and Hughes are the primary sort of uh, facilitators, right? Like Besser and Pedersen are one time options, right? But it's not working with those two as the primary facilitators right now. So it's probably not a bad idea to look at yeah. things a little differently and try and shake it up. Well, things should uh, change. We'll see what happens. Things should change if yep. Pedersen moves to his downhill. Like if if this works on the downhill side, Pedersen should pick up apples. Uh, Bo Horvat well, still might not unless they're getting some rebound goals, which you know that's really what that suggests to me. Like these guys are the primary trigger men on the power play, and they have one assist each. That yep. like the my immediate reaction to that just as a statistical analyst, like what I what I now am going to go look at right after this podcast's done is like are they getting rebounds are they getting to those rebounds are they getting grimy enough in terms of what they're generating on the power play to me the fact that their two primary shooters only have one assist apiece 24 games into the season suggests that there's just not enough funky gritty goals being scored by pp1 um and that might be part of their issue if you're looking for other hockey pod options here at the athletic check out ian mendez and Haley salvian they've got the athletic hockey show uh, later today, so you can look for that. And of course, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the Vancast on Apple. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash Vancast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. couple games in the peg. We'll be back to digest those, and we'll see uh, where the Canucks are after the first two games of the month of March. Also, uh, where we are in terms of any more trade talk and anything else that comes up around this hockey club. We'll be back to do that uh, next one on Wednesday here this week at The Athletic and theathletic.com. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. February's behind us. New month. Let's see what that means for the Vancouver Canucks. Thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.